There are two readings tonight, so if you can grab a Bible, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, page 768. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Flip across to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to continue hearing from God's holy and inspired word, jumping in at verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Evening, everyone. So good to see you. My name's James. I'm on the staff team here. Um, it'll be good if you have your Bibles open at Jeremiah chapter 9, which is page 768. Um, if you turn back there, that's where we're going to be spending most of our time this evening. And as you turn there, let me lead us in a prayer. Father God, thank you that you are a God of faithfulness, that from generation to generation you remain the same and you are good and you are for us in Christ. And so we pray this evening, as we turn to your word again, that you would help us to understand and to listen and to believe what your word says. And then to go out from here, living it out for the honour and glory of your name. 
In Jesus Christ we pray, amen. We have just had the best decade in human history, seriously. That was the headline of the the article that caught my attention most over the Christmas period in The Spectator. I mean, most of the news articles at this time of year are fairly unoriginal. They're, what's the greatest artist of the decade? Ed Sheeran, apparently. What's the most streamed track on Spotify? Shape of You by Ed Sheeran, apparently. And what's the most read news story um, on the BBC? It was the Chilean miners' rescue back in 2010. That was the most read news story. Most articles are like that at this time of year. So my my attention was grabbed by this article that was entitled, We Have Just Had the Best Decade in Human History. Seriously. And the the author who's writing mentions a whole number of things. He says that extreme poverty has fallen to below 10% of the world's population, that global inequality has plummeted as you see um, economic growth in Africa and Asia, Child mortality has fallen to record lows. Malaria, polio, heart disease are all in decline. And so he brings all these things to the table and says, look guys, we've had the best decade in human history, seriously. He says the march of human progress is continuing. We as humans have lots to boast about. We're in the, going in the right direction. He says, don't listen to the doubters who tell you that the, the, the climate is plunging into chaos. Don't listen to them. No, 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 at the end of the decade, we as humanity have lots to boast in. And if we continue in the same trajectory, he makes the bold claim that in 10 years' time, we'll have even more to boast about than ever before. We're in the right direction. There is lots to boast about. Now, now make of that what you will. Make of the content of that what you will. But I was struck by the article because what I wanted was something to boast in. I mean, maybe it's just because I've had, uh, feels like I've had a, a, a hard time the last year. I don't know. But I wanted something to boast about I wanted something to boast about, and so this article caught my attention. I wanted something to be proud of. And maybe it's just me, but I suspect that lots of us, as we come to the end of a year, to the end of a decade, we want something to boast about. We want to be able to look back on the year, on the last 10 years, and have something that we want to boast in. We might not think on a global scale, but personally, we might want something to boast in whether it's career success or relationship success or sporting success, we want to have something to boast in at the end of a year. And even if this year has been a disappointment, as we look forward to the new year, 2020, our hope is that at the end of that year, we're going to have something to boast in. That's the hope of a new year. But as we turn to the Bible this evening, I have one question to ask you from those two verses in Jeremiah, one question, and it's this, what will you boast in? What will you boast in? Now, I suspect that the the book of Jeremiah is probably uh, not well known to you. Despite it being the longest book in the Bible, or maybe because it's the longest book in the Bible, it's not a book that we often read. But Jeremiah was a a prophet to Jerusalem in the 7th and 6th century BC. He's most notable because he prophesies just as the city is about to be destroyed. They've turned away from God and judgment is coming. And the Babylonians are very soon going to come and destroy God's people. And so Jeremiah is the the prophet right at the end before the city is destroyed. If you like, you could say Jerusalem at the time was a proud city that refused to believe God's judgment was coming. And in that sense, maybe not too different from London, a proud city with so much to boast about, but the moment you talk about God's judgment, no one wants to know. A proud city that refused to believe God's judgment was coming. And we've got one question to ask from these two verses in Jeremiah as we begin a new year very soon which is this, what will you boast in? We're going to look at it in two headings, very simply. Firstly, don't boast in yourself. Secondly, do boast in the Lord. 
Don't boast in yourself, then do boast in the Lord. So let's look at the first one of those together now. Do do not boast in yourself. Let's read again Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. It says this, This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Now I just need to make a brief comment on that word boast, because when we hear the word boast, we hear it almost overwhelmingly negatively. It's a bad thing to boast, isn't it? We sort of think of um, uh, the the TV show The Apprentice. I don't know if anyone is still watching that. We enjoyed watching it this term. And um, The Apprentice, you get these 12 candidates vying for investment. And one of the most extraordinary things about the show is just how much boasting goes on. They, They make wildly exaggerated boasts about how good they are at business. It's extraordinary. It's so over the top that it sort of makes good TV. And especially when it turns out that they're far better at boasting than they are at actually doing business. And so when we hear the word boasting, we think like that. We think over-the-top, massive boasts that are bad. But in the Old Testament, this word boast comes up over 120 times, and it's, it's actually a neutral word. It could be positive or negative. And what boasting is, it's the outward expression of what we inwardly trust. Boasting is the outward expression of what we inwardly trust. So negatively, all the way back in Judges chapter 16, the the Philistines have captured Samson. You remember Samson, the guy with long hair, massive strength that God had raised up. And the Philistines have captured him. And so they throw this massive party and they are boasting in their God, Dagon. He has has given them victory. They've caught Samson and they boast in their God. Except by the end of the evening, the Lord has given Samson his strength back and he's destroyed the city. And so their boast is proved to be stupid and foolish. So there's negatively or positively, in 1, Corinthians, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, God stirs up the people and they give loads of money to the, the building project of the temple. And they donate huge amounts of gold and silver. And David boasts in or praises the Lord. He says, God, you're so kind. You've given us all this stuff. And that's a good boast, a positive boast, because it's in the Lord. And the temple gets built and it's wonderful. So boasting is just an outward expression of what you inwardly trust. And the word can be positive or negative. And in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, we see three examples of negative things that the people are told not to boast in. And as we look at them, we will see that they're just timeless across cultures and across history, things that people boast in. And Jeremiah says, don't boast in these things. Now you remember, Jeremiah's message to the city of Jerusalem has been, God's judgment is coming. The Babylonians are going to come. They're going to destroy the city. And there are three groups of people in the city, and they, they say different things. We've got the wise the strong and the rich. And so this first group, the wise, when they hear the message, God's judgment is coming, what the wise say is, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, just enough of your talk of judgment. Enough. Stop and think. Use your brain. Engage with your brain. We have consulted the wisest people in the city, those with degrees, those who are professors, those who are wise and intelligent, the people with PhDs who are much wiser and much cleverer than you. And they tell us that nothing bad is going to happen. The wise tell us nothing bad is going to happen. They tell us we don't need to change. Everything is fine. So we'll trust in our wisdom. Thank you very much. So that's what one group says. The wise, they say, trust in your intelligence. Trust in your brain. Trust in what the clever people say. Then there's the second group. And they speak up. And let's call them the strong. And the strong say, Jeremiah, enough. Stop talking about judgment. Come, let me show you how strong our city is. 
Just look at these walls. Look at the walls of Jerusalem. Look how thick they are. Look at the gate. This is the latest in defense technology. You are, no one is breaking through this gate. And then look, look at our army. It's strong, it's well-trained. No one is gonna come and attack us. And even if they do, we'll be safe. Look at our strength. We'll trust in our strength. Thank you very much. And then there's the third group, the rich. And when they hear Jeremiah's message, the rich say, oh, Jeremiah, stop being so silly. Have you not read the economic forecasts? Our city is on the up. Have you seen the temple? It's built out of silver and gold. It's full of silver and gold. We have so much money. We can pay off anyone. No one's going to come and attack us. We have enough money to spend on whatever we need to to protect ourselves. We are going to be safe because we've got money. We're getting richer and richer. And if that's not a sign of God's blessing, I don't know what is. We are so rich. So we'll trust in our riches. Thank you very much. And that's kind of the feel in the city of Jerusalem at 700 BC. People are boasting in how wise they are. They're boasting in how strong they are. They're boasting in how rich they are. And the people's response to Jeremiah's messages will boast in our wisdom, our strength, our riches. These things will keep us safe. And it's worth just observing that, that all of these things are very me-centered. They're all things that turn in upon myself. Look at my wisdom. Look at my strength. Look at my riches. It's all about myself. It's trusting in me. I'm the one who has the power to keep me safe. But in Jeremiah chapter 9, he warns the people, don't boast in your wisdom. Don't boast in your strength. Don't boast in your riches. Now question, why should they not boast in those things? Is it because wisdom or strength or riches are inherently bad things? Well, no. There are plenty of examples of wise and rich and strong people in the Bible who are are godly. It's, It's not because those things are inherently bad. No, no, it's because those things cannot keep you safe from God's judgment. That's the problem. They cannot keep you safe from God's judgment. Back in um, 25th of October, 1854, it was the middle of the Crimean War. And a a miscommunication from the the British commanders had the the light brigade, the, the cavalry regiment, charging full on in a full frontal assault at a Russian artillery battery. And as the order is received, you you imagine the the British troops climbing aboard their horses and thinking, okay, we can do this. We can do this. We can can take this down. That The high command have told us, and we we can trust in our strength. We're going to take down this position. And as is uh, immortalized by a famous poem, The Charge of the Light Brigade, the whole attack was totally doomed to failure. Horses cannot beat guns. They'd boasted, they'd trusted in the wrong thing. And Jeremiah is saying, boasting in wisdom, strength, and riches is like riding horses into battle in the age of the machine gun. It's just not going to protect you. It can't keep you safe. It doesn't matter how much confidence you have in them. They cannot keep you safe. And this was proved true in in the time of Jeremiah. So despite the people's constant boasting that they're going to be kept safe, in 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon comes riding into Jerusalem and he destroys the city. God's judgment comes. The temple is raised to the ground. It's plundered of all its riches. The wise men are either executed or taken off into exile. And the army flees, trying to escape. The wisdom and the riches and the strength of that city were shown to be of no help 
when God's judgment came. And not only is this proved true in the time of Jeremiah, but it's proved true again and again and again and again throughout human history. Wisdom, strength, and riches cannot keep you safe. Uh, Earlier last week, I I spent some time watching a a documentary about Andy Murray, the British tennis player, called Resurfacing on Amazon Prime. It was really great. I really enjoyed watching it. Um, And Andy Murray, obviously, is a guy who's had so much to boast in, so much to boast in, multiple Grand Slam winner, world number one tennis player at the time, Olympic gold medalist, top four highest prize prize money earnings of all time. And as you watch this documentary, there are just endless clips of him physically training. It's just kind of every shot is him on some treadmill or some gym piece of equipment or in his swimming pool. It's just constant training all the time. But a couple of years ago, Andy Murray damaged his hip while he was playing, and he was put out in injury, and he was living in constant pain, basically unable to hit a tennis ball. And so the the documentary shows his attempt to recover from this serious hip injury to come back onto the tour. And as he trains and consults the wisdom of all the doctors and spends all the money that he's earned trying to to get get away back into tennis, there's this very poignant moment where he's in tears, about to walk into a press conference to announce he's going to retire because he, he can't get back. He can't get back to his strength. The best doctors in the world paid for by all the money he's earned, the surgeries, the rehab, unable to restore his strength, and he's in tears because it hasn't worked, unable to keep him back playing tennis. Finally, he he has another major operation which gets him back on court for a little bit and so he's playing again, but it won't last forever. He knows that he's not going to be back to full strength and very soon he'll have to retire and he'll become just another one of these athletes in a long line of athletes who've reached their peak, who've risen to the top and then falls. Now, I'm not trying to say here that that Andy Murray's hip injury is is a a specific act of God's judgment upon him, that would be stupid, that would be a stupid thing to say. But but what the Bible does say is that the decay of our bodies and the the ongoing pain that we feel as we head towards death is part of God's general judgment upon all of us. The Bible says that back at the very beginning, Adam and Eve, the first humans, became me-centered. They started looking at themselves, trusting in themselves, and since then the world is under God's judgment. And that the decay and decline that you see in a a man like Andy Murray, and indeed in all of us, is part of God's judgment. And it doesn't matter how rich you are, how strong you are, how wise you are, nothing is going to keep you safe from that judgment. As you look at yourself, the decay and decline eventually leads to death and an appointment with God the judge where we must give an account of our lives to him. One of the, the things that I find interesting to look at the end of the year on Wikipedia is they, they have a page which is notable deaths of 2019. You just get to see all the famous people who've passed away. There are scientists and professors and academics, sports stars, Olympic medalists, military veterans, businessmen, lottery winners, philanthropists, economics. And that's just the notable deaths in December. And their wisdom and their strength and their riches have not been able to keep them safe from God's judgment. Neither wisdom nor strength nor riches have any value when we have to come and give an account of our lives before the Lord. So Jeremiah says, don't boast in them. Don't put your trust in them. Don't look to them as the thing that's going to keep you safe. Of course, we have to ask the question, how might you and I be boasting in these same things today? I mean, if we call ourselves Christians, I guess few of us would be so crass as to think that when we stand before God on judgment day, he's going to let us into heaven because we've been wise or strong or rich. I don't think we're tempted to think that. 
But I think we're strangely conflicted because whilst we wouldn't say that on, on the, the great day of judgment, we, we do sometimes think that we're going to trust in those things every other day until the day of judgment. So let me ask a, a couple of questions for us to think about. Question number one is this, what do I think is going to keep me safe this year? What do I think is going to keep me safe this year? If your answer is, I'll be safe because of my wisdom, or because of my strength, or because of my riches, then you may have the same problem that Jeremiah was talking about back in 700 BC. Perhaps you're you're confident that you'll be safe this year, because whatever happens, your CV is updated, your degrees and life experiences are better than your peers, and your record at work is outstanding. That is your wisdom, the, the wisdom that you have put in to your progress of yourself. That's the thing that's going to keep you safe. Or or maybe you're confident this year because your health has been great and you think, well, you just take it for granted. My health is just going to be good for another year, isn't it? I have the strength to get through whatever life throws at me because, well, my health has been great. We just take it for granted. We assume this year will be the same. Or maybe you're confident about this year because of the money that's sitting in that bank account or the investment that you've made. Whatever happens this year, you have that to fall back on. You have money that will keep you safe. What do you think is going to keep you safe this year? Question two, what do I think will make a successful 2020? What do I think will make a successful 2020? When I get to the end of the the year in 2020 in December, what do I think is going to have made it a success? Are you hoping to end the year boasting in finishing your degree or the next professional qualification? Is it going to be your your successful diet and gym regime that you're about to start in the New Year's resolution that's going to give your body a new lease of life? Or is it the giant pay rise that your boss has promised that you're hoping for this year? Is that what's going to make a successful year for you? Jeremiah says, don't boast. Don't boast in wisdom. Don't boast in strength. Don't boast in riches. These things cannot keep you safe. But he doesn't just say that. He also gives an alternative. And so we're going to move on to The second point, boast in the Lord. Let's just look again at those verses in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight declares the Lord. Jeremiah says that there is one thing, just one thing, that you and I ought to boast in. And that is the relationship we have with the Lord. The relationship we have with the Lord. Do you see that there in verse 24? It's about having the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord. Now now this knowledge is not simply knowledge about God. In the same way that you might know some stuff about chemistry, or you might know some stuff about military history, or something about famous... It's not... It's not knowledge about him, it's to know him, it's personal, it's relational. It's why he uses the name Lord in capital letters, it's his personal name, it's the name of relationship. And Jeremiah says that the one thing we should boast in is that we have a relationship with the Lord, a personal, intimate relationship with him. And I know that this might sound very basic to to lots of you here, but I hope you know that, that primarily the first thing that what it means to be a Christian is to have a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. That is the first thing that it means. 
Sometimes it's good to go back to basics, isn't it, at the, at the end of a year as we start a new year, just, just to remind ourselves, what, what's it all about? It's about knowing the Lord. It's not primarily about being born into a Christian family or an ethical code that you follow or religious rituals that you attend or, or a worldview you subscribe to or a church community you're part of. All of those things might be good. But above all of those things, the, the most important thing, that the central thing, the first thing, is having a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. Being a Christian is about having a relationship with, with him. Now, I don't know what Christmas Day is like for you, for your family. It's a good festive question to ask, isn't it? What are the traditions that happen on Christmas Day in your family? Um, so my wife and my son and I, we were at my parents for Christmas this year. And, and uh, the, the kind of the routine has been fairly set by my parents. You, you wake up in the morning and mum cooks a, a cooked breakfast. It's the only day of the year she ever does a cooked breakfast, but Christmas Day cooked breakfast. We then go to church and come home and open presents after much whinging from my dad about how late it is we're opening presents, but... We come home, we open presents, and then there's a full roast turkey Christmas dinner, and then we go and spend time with some of the extended family, playing games and just hanging out. And it's wonderful. But I wonder if you've ever imagined keeping all the traditions of Christmas, but spending them with complete strangers. Imagine doing everything exactly the same, but with people you've never met, so no one knows each other. And when you start to think about it, it, it might start to feel a bit weird. I start to feel a bit odd. All the traditions are exactly the same, but the people are just, you don't know them. It'd be strange. Because primarily, the, the key thing about Christmas Day is not the traditions, it's the people and it's the relationships. It's the people and it's the relationships. That's the first thing. The, the traditions come after that and they come around that, but it's the people first. That's why it's so painful when people who were there at Christmas are no longer there. Because it's the people that matters most. It's the relationships. And it's like that with being a Christian. You can have all the traditions and the ceremonies and the church community and all that thing, but the first thing, the primary thing is to know God. It's to have a relationship with him. If you take that away, you miss the central point of what it is to be a Christian. It's to know God. You know, it's possible to go through all the outward traditions of being a Christian, but to totally miss the point. <laughs> to know him. And actually, that's what was happening in Jeremiah's day. I mean, they, they were the family that God had chosen. They, they read the, the Bible all the time. They had priests and temples and sacrifices and rituals. They were the community of God's people. And yet God kept on saying all the way through the book of Jeremiah, you don't know me. You don't know me. You've kept all the outward stuff, but you don't know me anymore. And so Jeremiah is calling on the people to return to what they should be boasting in first, which is to know the Lord, to have a relationship with him. And God wants us to be a church where that thing is the primary, the central, the, the focus. Rather than being a church that's known first for having great music or, or good community or, or good traditions and ceremonies, all of those things might be very important, but God wants us to be a church where the, the, the primary thing, the central thing is that we know him. We're a church where he is at the center. But here's the question, why is boasting in knowing the Lord better than boasting in wisdom or strength or riches? Why is it better? Well, the answer is because knowing him is the only place of true safety. Knowing him is the only place of true safety. We can see this from his character. Just look down again at verse 24. Let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. 
Now, that word kindness is, is massively under-translated. It should be steadfast love or covenant love or relational love. It's a word of promise that God makes to be for his people and to love them. Yesterday, I had the joy of um, being at a, a wedding ceremony, and there's so much great stuff that happens on a, on a wedding day. Um, it's, it's hard to even say all the, all the wonderful things that go on. But for me, always the highlight is in the, in the middle of the ceremony, there's the declarations that take place where the, the officiant asks both the bride and the groom to, to declare what they will be to the other person. So it says, husband, will you take so-and-so to be your wife? Will you love her, comfort her, honor and protect her and forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live? And then they answer, I will, I will. Now often we think they, the response is I do because that's what we sort of think is going on in the movies, that's what we think happens. But I do is a bit pathetic when you think about it. Because I do is, is a promise for right now. It's a promise, okay, today I do. T- today I will do all those things. But who knows about tomorrow? T- today I do, but who knows? When you look beautiful and you're on your wedding day and everyone's happy and there's family and friends and there's great food and there's music and there's dancing, I do sounds very easy to say. I do, but, but what about tomorrow? What about 10 years from now? I do is pretty pathetic. But I will. I will is wonderful. Because I will says, I will love you today. I will love you tomorrow. I will love you the day after. I will love you the day after. I will love you in 10 years' time. I will. I will. I will on days when you're kind. I will on days when you're grumpy. I will when things are good. I will when things are bad. I will when things are richer or poorer or better or worse or sickness or health. I will. It's so much better. And I want you to think when you read this word kindness or steadfast love in the Old Testament, that is God saying, I will to his people. That is God saying, I will to his people. It's his promise of steadfast love. It is, I will love you today and I will love you tomorrow and I will love you in 10 years time. I will. Whether you are behaving yourselves well or whether you're not, I will love you. Whether things in your life are going well or not, I will love you, I will love you. This word steadfast love is, or kindness here, is God saying I will to his people because the sort of relationship he has is like a marriage relationship. Marriage is just a picture of this relationship that people have with God. And so when God says he's the Lord who exercises kindness or steadfast love, it's his covenant promise to be for his people to love them no matter what. And when you think about it, wisdom, strength, and riches can only ever say, I do. They can only ever say, I do. They can promise you things right now. They can seem to make your life better right now, this second. They can say, I do today. You you have money today, brilliant, I do. But they can never say, I will. Because as our bodies decay, and as we head towards death and enter God's judgment, they can no longer promise anything to us. They're of no help. But God says to his people who he's in a relationship with, I will, I will be for you. Of course, one of the the great mysteries in the day of Jeremiah is how can the Lord say, I will, in steadfast love when the people are so me-centered? How can he say that? Or if you like, in the words of verse 24, he's the Lord who exercises kindness, but also justice and righteousness. That is, he's the God who punishes evil and always wants to do good. How can he say to people who are so me-centered, who don't obey him all the time, how can he say to them, I will, in steadfast love, when the people are so fickle and they're always turning from him? And it's a mystery in Jeremiah's day, really. They just have to believe God's word that he will. 
But as you go through the Old Testament and you arrive at the birth of Jesus, you get to see how God can say, I will to people, even as they rejected him, and even as they keep on living in disobedience. And so if you would flick forward back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'd love to spend a couple of minutes there seeing how this works together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that's page 1144. Because with the coming of Jesus, we get to see that to boast in the Lord is to boast in Jesus Christ. To boast in the Lord is to boast in Jesus Christ. You'll see at the very end in verse 31, Paul quotes the words we've just had from Jeremiah 9, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And Paul is talking about how the message of the cross, verse 18, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. He's talking about the message of Jesus Christ who came to earth and died on a cross and was crucified. And to all outward appearances, it just looks so foolish. It just looks so weak. It just looks so silly. I mean, Jesus, he he looks like a fool to everyone. He doesn't have the qualifications from all the universities that you'd have at the the time if you're going to be someone who's wise. He, He looks such a fool. He looks so weak. He's not a politician or a military leader. He's just a carpenter. And he was poor, not born in affluent Rome, but born at the far end of the the empire, lives in Nazareth. And so Jesus looks weak. And as he dies on a cross, the criminal's death, he just looks pathetic. What is he achieving? What is a man dying on a cross doing? But Paul says that all of this is God's wisdom. It's his plan, it's God's plan to show the emptiness of human wisdom and strength and riches. Just look at verse 28 and 29. This is what it says. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God's plan was to choose the weakest, the the most foolish, the most pathetic looking thing to show how foolish and weak and silly human strength and wisdom is. In Jesus' death on the cross, God in his wisdom devised a plan to rescue me-centered people from the judgment that we deserve. At his moment of greatest weakness, Jesus was in fact displaying greatest strength as he took the judgment of God in our place. The strength of his righteousness and his holiness and his redemption is given to us so that we get to be set free from our me-centeredness and the judgment that deserves. He gives us the riches of eternal life to live with him forever. See, as you come to the cross, you find true wisdom and true strength and true riches if you're a Christian, if you're in relationship with God. So to be a Christian is to cease boasting in yourself and what you can achieve, and it's to look at Jesus and say, there, that's what true wisdom is. It's to look at Jesus and say, that's what true strength is. To look at Jesus and say, that's what true riches looks like. That God could take people like us who are so me-centered and to save us and to bring us with him into heaven to live with him forever. To be a Christian is to cease from boasting in yourself and it's to start boasting in Jesus Christ. And that will keep you safe today and this year and it will keep you safe on judgment day and it will keep you safe for all eternity. And that is something worth boasting in. So as we come to a close, let me ask you the same two questions that we asked earlier. Question one, what do I think is gonna keep me safe this year? Answer, knowing the Lord. 
knowing that he has pledged himself in steadfast love to me, that he has said, I will, if I'm in relationship with him. He said, I will for every day of this year. It's easy to believe on the good days, but when you fail, he said, I will. There's always more forgiveness to find in him. When you suffer, he has said, I will. There is always hope that his loving hand is working for your good. When you grieve, he has said, I will. He has said, I will, and promised you the hope of eternal life. And ultimately, when death and decay come, he won't be against you as judge, but he will be for you as a loving father who has already paid all of the penalty you deserve. What do I think is going to keep me safe this year? It is the relationship I have with the Lord. He is the one who will keep me safe. Question two, what do I think will make a successful 2020? Answer, knowing the Lord better, knowing him understanding his steadfast covenant love more richly and more deeply, boasting in knowing him, trusting him. Now, of course, there are a hundred practical suggestions about how you can do that, whether it's reading your Bible more than you did last year or praying more than you did last year or being committed to church more than last year, coming to the prayer meeting. There are a hundred practical suggestions, but the key, the big thing to, to take away is you want to get to the end of 2020 knowing the Lord better than you do now having a deeper relationship with him. Jeremiah says, don't boast in yourself. Don't boast in riches. Don't boast in strength. Don't boast in wisdom. Instead, boast in the Lord. Boast in knowing him. Boast in his steadfast love. That is what can keep you safe. And that is what you should look to, to trust in for 2020 and for every day beyond that. Let's pray together that we might be a church like that. Father God, we confess that we are so quick to boast in ourselves, to trust our own strength and our own riches and our own wisdom. And yet, Father, we praise you for Jesus. Thank you that in him we see what true wisdom and true strength and true riches look like. Thank you that he came for us so that you might show your steadfast, unchanging covenant love to us. Please would you help us to be people who grow in boasting in you this year. Help us to have deeper, a richer relationship with you above all other things. Help that to be our aim, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.